I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome to the broadcast, folks. Great to have you. Great to have everybody here in studio at the Credo House. Sam, JJ, and Tim. JJ is our special guest to even the playing fields, to even the odds as we beat up on Sam and uh, talk about the uh, charismatic gifts issue. Uh, Sam obviously is a regular on Theology Unplugged. Is it uh, safe to say, I mean, when does JJ stop being a guest? um, I don't know. I mean, this is only his third time. 15? Yeah. Okay. So we'll see. Um, I'm on probationary status. Yeah, yeah. it's a probationary period. <laughs> We're just listening and, and hearing how he speaks, what he speaks. See if he has the spiritual gift of theology unpluggedness. <laughs> there is a special gift about being unplugged. If you let me talk talk long enough, we'll flush out a heresy eventually. <laughs> nice, yeah. nice. We're all entitled to at least one pet heresy. <laughs> That's right. It's what Dwight Pentecost said. I like um, it. I like theology it. Unplugged. Um, we are talking today, continuing our conversation about spiritual gifts, about specifically charismatic gifts, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, which uh, are controversial, which are spoken of. I, I like to call them the supernatural gifts, the sign gifts. Um, that's what people normally would call them if you are in my position but, as we'll see today, these guys don't like that designation too much. I think you're being a little polemic just by kind of itching the scab a little bit of just no, continuing no. to bring up signs. These, I think we These can... guys are polemic by denying me my title of sign gifts. I like it. It, it works well because it works well within my theology. But okay. they're going to try to beat that up here for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, because you're the center of the universe. We should all just go, go off of what's best Hey, calm down. Free. You're on my side. What are you doing? <laughs> Your side, but I'm, JJ, you know, we're all friends here. Sam. Don't sit over there by him. I'm over here uh, by myself now. Um, last week, we, we tried to just go through and talk about what are gifts and try to define them and how God uses them within the church. And we, I, I, th- I think we came to the conclusion that all of us agreed that these gifts are not exhaustive, these lists of gifts. And I don't think any of us has that list in front of us or anything, but we read through the various passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, and Ephesians chapter 4, and, and talked about those uh, gifts that are listed there. Now, nobody would be... Con- I, there are some people out there. I actually have ha- heard people talk about how all the gifts have ceased. We talk about secessionism, and we talk about continuationism. Secessionism is taken from the word to cease. And there are people out there that are secessionists. Most of the time they believe that certain gifts have ceased, while other ones carry on within the church today. Uh, there are some people out there, though, that I've heard. There's a big church that, in Dallas that uh, has a lot of satellite churches that believes that all of the gifts have ceased. Okay, they're, they're kind of... I don't know if they would be called a hyper-dispensationalist or something like that, but uh, they just believe that there's no more gifts of the Spirit. Those were all for the establishing of the church. But most people, like myself, would say that, for sure, gifts such as teaching, generosity, um, administration, um, uh, mercy, mercy, have all continued on to today. Mm-hmm. And so... 
We take our spiritual gift inventory test. There's the charismatic spiritual gift inventory test, and then there's the non-charismatic spiritual gift inventory test. Okay, I got a lot of the non-charismatic spiritual gift inventory tests. I don't have any of the charismatic spiritual gift inventory tests. We've distinguished last time I talked about how you, we can sometimes take these tests and um, talk about them in such a way to where, what is it you like to do? You know, let's, let's take a new believer. Okay, guys, hang with me. Take a new believer, sit them down here in the room with us, and they say, hey, I just became a believer yesterday. Say, oh, great. Well, one of the first things you need to do is to see how God wants to use you in the church. Let me ask you some questions. So we begin to grill this guy, right? Uh, what are the things that you like to do? Well, like, do you like to speak in front of people? Oh, no, I don't like to speak in front of people. I'm scared to death of that. Okay, scratch off teaching, right? Um, do you, uh, well, I'm real generous, Oh, okay, good. Let's make a mark here by helps or by the gift of giving, right? What What are the things that we might do? Have you ever, like, spoken a language that you didn't understand before? I mean, obviously he would say no, right? I mean, he just became a believer yesterday. <laughs> I'm having fun here. <laughs> Have you ever uh, healed anybody, right? Uh, no, I've never healed anybody before. Okay, probably not the gift of healing. You see, uh, what I'm trying to do here is trying to distinguish, in my mind, how many of the gifts are more natural. Okay, they, they, they may have been there beforehand. God just may now use them within the church. Whereas some of them, you wouldn't expect them to be in any sense natural because they definitely have to come at the time completely in their manifestation of salvation or when the Holy Spirit gives them so, to you. So what you're saying is that where someone might say, yes, I, I'm, uh, I'm a, kind of a naturally generous person, even though I believe God created me that way, I'm naturally generous. But before the moment of salvation, and we ask Sam and JJ, there probably isn't any sense of someone saying, I've spoken in tongues before. Or I've healed somebody before. Yeah, I don't know how to put I've, it on a spiritual I've, gift inventory I've, for a new Christian. <laughs> well, but what you're saying is, is a lot of these spiritual spiritual gift inventories kind of are tapping into, especially if you give it to a new believer, are tapping into natural predispositions before they became a believer to try and, I guess, guess how the Spirit is going to uh, gift them and interact with them as believers. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're trying to help them discover what their giftedness might be. My purpose here is not to endorse spiritual gift inventory tests. As a matter of fact, I don't like them that much uh, because they're sometimes misleading. And I, I think I think the best way to do this is through discipleship and through somebody just yeah. really watching over you and, and telling you about your gift because they see it come out yeah. in you. Well, Sam, let me ask you, would you see any hints of someone with a gift of tongues before their salvation experience? No. Okay. So there would be nothing, you know, nothing like, oh, they're really insightful or, you know, maybe with gift of prophecy, they seem to be a, an overly wise person or anything along those lines? Um, probably no to that as well, but we need to remember uh, that there is such a thing as common grace and that people who are not born again, who are definitely unregenerate, unbelieving, uh, still are recipients of the the common grace of God, the Spirit of God uh, operating at various levels in various ways, even among those who don't know Jesus. That doesn't mean that they are in, inevitably going to become Christians, but uh, we believe that the Spirit of God uh, can bring conviction of sin, 
Uh, we believe that the Spirit of God, we have numerous examples in the Scripture, enables people to do things that they might otherwise not have been inclined to do. Yeah. Uh, so it, it may be that in God's providential purposes, somebody who is going to ultimately come to faith in Jesus is being shaped and prepared in advance of the actual moment of conversion by the Spirit of God so that there's an element of continuity sure. between what they did well and enjoyed before they were born again and what they do well and enjoy after they are born again. So level of continuity, also levels of discontinuity in the sense that certainly something new and and powerful uh, is is granted to each believer at the time that they do come to know Jesus. That's an excellent point because if we grant this distinction between natural and supernatural, if, you know, that, even that sounds even like a, you might be willing to grant it. Even well, a, even a whiskey even Calvinist is going to come too. in and say, yeah. "Wait a minute, what's natural about mercy? What's natural about well, what's generosity? natural about anything? If you go there and say, "What's natural about mercy? What's natural about generosity? What's natural about your heart beating? I mean, seriously, what's natural about this world existing? What's natural about?" Uh, anything that we're doing right now. I, I know you can cross that, and I, I'll go with you there as long as we're going there completely, that everything in the sense is supernatural. Everything is held together by God. Everything is, in, in that sense, we, we can't separate from the majesty and the power and the supernaturalness of our existence. Yeah. However, I, I would say that there are certain things that when we're talking about the spiritual gifts... These stand out as being at least different, if not supernatural. I agree. I agree with that. Kaboom, let's go home. I'm done. I'm done. That's all I needed to do. No, I'm, I'm really not trying to lead anywhere with this. And it's not like, okay, now let's take the next step for my position. It's not anything like that. I'm just trying to figure out how it is that there's this certain group. You put them in a circle. Here's these gifts. Healings. Miracles. Tongues, prophecy, that seem to be distinguished from these other ones. Teaching, mercy, giving, administration. Well, in what sense are they different and, and, and distinguished? Is it not by the, uh, an element of discontinuity? In other words, they are more visible. They are more overtly um, supernatural in nature. Uh, I agree with that. I think that's why... I can I can somewhat get the consent of my soul to refer to miraculous gifts of the Spirit. I mean, we did that, and that was the title to our book. We're talking about those that um, more clearly. Well, let me get, let's just let's just take prophecy and teaching. Okay, um, in order to te- teaching, I think all of us would agree is the Spirit empowered ability to interpret explain and apply in an effective God-honoring way the written word. In other words, you expound from an inscripturated text. If, um, if somebody's listening to a teacher, they're, they're probably not going to sit there and say, boy, that just really feels supernatural. I mean, they might feel excited and believe what they're being taught, but it doesn't appear to be something that uh, is uniquely the work of, the, of God through them. On the other hand, if somebody then in the same meeting stands up and points out an individual they've never met before and tells them that um, they are aware that their grandmother, Agnes, um, earlier this morning received a, a terminal diagnosis in a particular city without having had any prior knowledge of that, and the Lord just impressed me to tell you that 
uh, he he is present with her and he's present with you and he loves you both and, and that feels more overtly supernatural because it wasn't moving from an inscripturated text to an explanation it feels like there was some sort of spontaneous revelatory activity that just occurred that was communicated on the spot that can't be accounted for by purely natural means yeah now so so i would say so is prophecy then what we would call a miraculous gift and teaching a non-miraculous gift and i would say yes but both of them still have to come under the description that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 12. He says there are varieties of gifts, there are different kinds of service and ministries, but it's all the same God and Spirit who's working in each and every one of us for the common good. So my point simply is all the gifts are united by this one common element. It is the Spirit of God operating through them. Some of the gifts seem to be uh, less explicable by appeal to natural phenomena. It doesn't have the feel of a miracle, but that doesn't mean they're any less the work of the Spirit of God through them. That's the point that I would make. Isn't this Paul? Isn't this precisely Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 14 where he says in uh, verse 24, if an unbeliever or outsider enters, you know, this corporate assembly of, of the body, um, and, if, and if someone prophesies, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed... As a result, he falls on his face, worships God, and says, wow, God must really be among you. So that's kind of what Sam was describing. And yet, Paul's in no way unaware of the distinction of authority, because then he says later in verse 36, was it from you guys that the word of God came? Are you the only ones that's reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. I'm declaring authoritative truth as an apostle. You guys can receive spontaneous revelation from God that might miraculously cause, grab someone's attention, cause them to fall on their face. But let's not forget what that is. It doesn't carry with it an authority, but it mm-hmm. definitely gets someone's attention and may convict them. Well, well it would. Okay. I mean, it would certainly convict me. It certainly caused me to move into a different kind of realm of, uh, of of God's presence, of God's manifestation, of you know seeking God's manifestation in, in, in so many ways. I, I think it would be. It, it, I mean, obviously, if somebody is revealing the secrets of my heart, there is a transcendence presence, right? I mean, because this this person doesn't naturally know what I'm thinking. You can't read faces or, or or be that smart to be able to figure these things out. I remember whenever I was in one setting that was a charismatic setting, whenever I was, I think, 17 years old, and I was sitting in the audience, and I was really angry because I just I was angry at charismatics all the time then. And, um, and they were speaking and prophesying, and then they said... <laughs> Pull, your, said, pull yourself there's together. one guy here who doesn't believe anything we're talking about <laughs> and all of a sudden I mean I just got flush and I was like the secrets of his heart were exposed and hopefully he fell down and worshipped well, well he started looking for him you know and he started looking around he's looking over my direction right over there he pointed towards me and I was like oh my gosh Lord I am so sorry I'm in so much trouble you know and, and my, my feeling was I've been exposed by the Lord you know mm-hmm. I, uh, the, this feeling this this you know, he, he eventually Touché. didn't get to me. He went to somebody else. <laughs> a, guy, a, guy behind, a guy behind you stands up. It's me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I paid like, the money to do it. You know. Here, Tom, you. <laughs> On the flip side, I was in a health and wealth church in Texas, and there was a guy who'd been brought in as a sort of itinerating prophet, and I just felt, you know, some discernment in me saying, I don't think this guy's legit. And I had my arms crossed. Well, he pointed me out of the crowd, called me up to the front in front of this whole church that I was visiting for the first time, 
and then laid hands on me and tried to push me over, you know, and artificially slave me in the spirit. And, I'm, you know, I planted my feet. I'm not going down. So, I mean, <laughs> but we're, we've all got as many stories of abuses and wackiness, but then the real question is, is what Paul's describing here in 1 Corinthians 14 still legitimate and something that the Spirit of God is doing? Well, and I think that's a big question because, you know, the, ex- the explanation that Sam gave of he basically described the gift of prophecy, but... Uh, you know what? Let, let's say Cyril of Alexandria, for instance, thought that the gift of prophecy was was a person who was supernaturally able to interpret the books of the prophets. Okay, so it was able to have key insight into interpreting the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah. You know, so I think within that, there's definitely this understanding of like, okay, we're discussing these miraculous gifts, but then. Yes, like that verse does seem to show a little bit of what that might look like, but how do we know that what what Sam, the the picture that he painted of the gift of prophecy in action, where did that description come from? And how do we know that that, that is the gift of prophecy as opposed to just we're all believing that the Spirit of God can do supernatural things and that the Spirit of God just allowed this person for a second to have insight and we don't label that the gift of prophecy. How so, can how can we explain it when you say how can we know what now whether it's the gift of prophecy or just some random work of the spirit in some sort of revelatory disclosure? Yeah, so it feels like we're we're saying okay, is the gift of prophecy really real or is it not real? But it, we kind of have this predisposed definition of what it would look like if it were real or if it were not real. So you paint a picture of prophecy, and I would either have to say yay or nay, or I could say, well, I want to redefine, redefine the gift of prophecy because of some people who who have interpreted it differently. Hey, listen, yeah. I, I don't so, mind going there. I really don't. Okay, but, but my plan is to save get that for another time. Let's get specific to the gift of prophecy in a little bit. Let's get specific to the gift of tongues in a little bit. Let's get okay. specific to healing in a little bit. I can withdraw my question. We're, no, we're, no, we're it's, it's a great question. I want. Yeah, I think it's good anticipation to where we will be going. Yeah, I think in we need this. to. I think we need to answer that kind of question with regard to each gift individually as we progress through them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's fair enough. So you prophetically spoke into my I life. Did. To I did. I mean, I really. I'm not sure no, if that was the gift. Michael has the gift of rebuke. <laughs> rebuke. Well, he seemed. Well, it was the sermon that it was the sermon that you were misleading our audience and that you were not teaching well. Well, you previously. It's, part of the, it's a subset of the gift of teaching. Okay, so you've rebuked my gift of teaching. You rebuked my shoes no, you earlier started today. By rebuking my gift of teaching earlier. You said I only have it sporadically. I did. I'm conjuring up a new gift, the gift of... Contentiousness. Contentiousness is... Someone with the gift of healing is going to come in and have to heal this relationship. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so we agree that there is a distinguishing between certain gifts and other gifts. You know, you put this in this one circle. But we agree that all of the gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Whenever, I'm, whenever you're teaching, part of the gift of the power of the Spirit within you is not only to understand what you're teaching, I mean, in your study, as you're studying. It's not as if we feel like you sit down in a chair and you say, okay, Lord, give me my sermon for tomorrow. Give me the gift of teaching, you know, and th- that would be more of a prophetic type thing. But we believe in your study, as you're reading the Word of God, as you're, as you're reading your resources that you have, you come to a greater understanding. You can organize it in such a way to where you stand up in front of people and, and teach. But we also, would we say that in the gift of teaching, is part of that is the gift of receiving, that people, people respond. You know, there, there's a response in the church, a supernatural response, of course, because anytime somebody believes... In any circumstance, it's supernatural. And so whenever we're teaching, 
there's a response in that the audience's minds are being opened, that their lives are changing, that their beliefs are becoming refined. That is part of the gift of teaching, I think, right? I think the area I would disagree is would be the life of Jeremiah. So where Jeremiah, God says, well done, faithful servant. You have, you have prophesied your entire life. You have faithfully served in the context that I called you, and no one responded. Great job. Keep up the good work. So, I mean, I think that that would be the only, I'd say typically yes. You know, if, if everybody hears you preach and said, man, <laughs> that was miserable, then I, would, I probably wouldn't walk away saying I have the gift of teaching. Well, generally speaking, we might say there's an effectiveness involved. I mean, like evangelist. If I'm a gift of evangelism, yeah. you'd probably think people are responding. Yeah, if nobody ever comes to faith, I, you probably don't have the gift of evangelism. Yeah. yeah. yeah unless, unless, I mean, I think, Jeremiah, unless if God has just so hardened the hearts of the people that very, I mean, there are people who are laboring in, uh, in heavily Muslim countries who, who have a gift feel like they're planting well, seeds, but they're not seeing that much response. Fair enough, fair enough. But, you know, you, you have him, you have David, David Livingston, who is somebody that's actually in the church that I would use an example of rather than Isaiah like you are. Yeah. Well, let's not forget, we're talking about different dispensations. I'm not even a dispensationalist, <laughs> but the, the gift You're of teaching was... I showed you <laughs> dispensation the other day. Yes, Here we have a gift of teaching that has been specifically given by God for the upbuilding of the body that they grow up into maturity in Christ. So, you know, Jeremiah may be uh, increasing confidence condemnation on hard-hearted, unregenerate people, the gift of teaching hopefully is operative in, in a context of regenerate, living people. Well, so, so I agree. Typically, yes, you're yeah. seeing response from these gifts. <laughs> you want to bring up another exception? I, I, I could keep them coming, but I'd say it's yeah, not. Yeah, I was going to bring up something about giving. You would say, except for whatever so-and-so gave and nobody took or something. Well, no. So someone could have a gift of giving and be a kid in, in Rwanda who doesn't have the ability to give, but they might have the gift. So they might have the desire, but be unable to fulfill that desire. I'm tired of this, Sam. <laughs> can, no, you, can, not, you, can you do some just, rebuke or something? No, just, just bring it back uh, to square one and, and the, the take us where you of his heart. To. I'll be quiet. Okay, so we've got, the, we've, we've got supernatural empowered gifts. We all believe that. We all mm. believe whenever God is working through this, this is, this is something amazing. We know that we can do it illegitimately. We can teach illegitimately and claim to have the gift and misuse this gift and abuse the gift and, and, uh, and claim to have the gift and not even really have it. So all of them can be used by the power of the Spirit, and ultimately, whenever they are used, it is the power of the Spirit. All of them can be misused, mm -hmm. and people can claim to have it, not have it. People can have it and misuse it, even though they have it. We understand that. And another thing is, which you'll have to explain to me in a minute, you can grow in each one of those. I don't know how you grow in the gift of healing. I don't know how you grow in the gift of tongues, but that's what you guys are going to have to help me out with. And two caveats. It's, as scripture is very clear. It's never meant to be a means of pride, and it's never uh, a mark of maturity. Okay. Which, which, but I, I would disagree with that in historic charismatic uh, in first and second wave and in John Wesley uh, where it was. So you're... You're departing from a good hundred years of, of charismatic thought in saying that. There's a reason why agree. they call it a third wave. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, you're, so there are people who would label themselves charismatic. There are, there are millions that would label themselves charismatic that would say it's a mark of maturity, but you're distinguishing that, which, which I appreciate. And, and I think the biggest proof of it in the world is the church at Corinth. 
<laughs> never seen a group more apparently charismatically gifted and more in need of discipline and intervention and displaying a remarkable lack of maturity. Yeah, Michael, well, let's let's come back because you mentioned this at the beginning and at the end of the last broadcast, the beginning of this one, that you wanted this to move in the direction of whether or not we should call certain gifts sign gifts. Okay. So make your point, and then we will mock you. <laughs> I love Thank it. you for, for preempting. Oh, that's great. Um, okay, so, so normally what, what people would say is that certain gifts are used as permanent gifts. They are, they're permanent, and then they're the other ones that are temporary. That's what normally people would say as a cessationist. Now, again, I haven't claimed to be a cessationist. Um, I just claim that I'm not a charismatic because obviously I don't practice the gifts and I myself have never experienced them in any way, either you know, by virtue of extension or myself. Never seen them or anything like that. And so it's very difficult for me to claim in any sense to be a charismatic, much less a continuationist in my theology because I'm just kind of teetering whether or not these gifts are permanent or temporary. Now, when we say they're temporary, generally speaking, this is the idea. And I'm sure everybody has heard this, so humor me as I go through this for the sake of our audience. Many people would say these gifts, uh, healings, miracles, prophecy, um, tongues, interpretation of tongues, sometimes we would throw in there a word of wisdom and word of knowledge, depending upon what word of means is, is a prophetic in that sense, if it's prophetic, it gets thrown in there with these temporary gifts. Why do people say they're temporary? Why would some people say from a theological standpoint they are no longer around? A lot of people would say they were sign gifts. What does that mean? It simply means this, that if somebody comes into our presence, let's say somebody busts in here to uh, Theology Unplugged and said, hey, guys, I want to be on your broadcast, but I'm going to be speaking on behalf of the Lord. So, oh, great, you know, pull up a seat. We, we would love to have the Lord join us by virtue or by extension of your words. And he says, thank you very much. And we sit down and he just begins to speak. We'd say, wait a minute, how in the world do we know you're speaking on behalf of the Lord? Anybody could claim that. And indeed, here's the deal, guys, and you guys know this. There's nothing that's more abused in this world than the word of the Lord. There's nothing in marriages that I've seen abused more than a husband who comes up and abuses his wife based upon having some type of exerted authority through by virtue of the word of the Lord. You know, the Lord has given me the authority to do this, to well, act this way to And you. you could even make a case that slavery in America was a misinterpretation of Scripture. Sure. I mean, you throw out and you say, this is what God says. Yeah. In marriage, in society, in the church... You know, you talk to people. I just talked to a couple the other day that were on the phone, both of them crying, saying we've been in this church situation. It was not a charismatic church. It was just a church that was very authoritative where this guy said, everything I speak is more of a cultic church. Everything I speak is the word of the Lord. And they believe in the whole life, grew up in that church, and then in the end, very abusive in so many ways. If you leave this church, the elders came up and said, uh, the Lord says that you will no longer be one of his children and they called me scared to death now people abuse the word of the lord more than anything else so somebody comes in and says i'm speaking on behalf of the lord you know the first thing i say is how in the world are we supposed to believe you why should i believe you and i think this comes all the way back to the old testament i think it comes all the way back to the third commandment you shall not take the lord your god's name in vain because 
everybody during that day took the name of their gods and used them in hexes and in curses and in all kinds of ways to pronounce authority. In the name of Marduk, you shall win this war, O king, you know. Uh, in the name of Baal, you shall um, not go out against the Assyrians, uh, because you will surely die. Well, that was using the name of their Lord to gain authority to the word. You know, is you, you don't want to go in there and say, in the name of Michael Patton, you know, <laughs> you will you will not be victorious. Say, who's Michael Patton? Who cares? And I would say, well, I take that back. In the name of Yahweh. Oh, okay, good. You know, you're in a different name. You're under a different representation. And I, I think the whole purpose, Deuteronomy chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 18, and the third commandment, I'm going to stop because I know you guys have some responses here, is to protect God's word. So therefore, anytime somebody claims to have a word of the Lord, there must be some type of accompanying sign. Could be a miracle. Could be a, a healing uh, if somebody came in and said, oh, let me show you real quick. You know, let me raise this dead person. Now, do you believe me? I say, well, yeah, I mean, I'll start to believe you. Of course, the second issue is, do you already have orthodox theology? Because Satan can mimic the uh, miracles of the Lord. The two criteria, orthodox theology and signs to accompany your word. So, here comes the apostles. Here comes Jesus. Here comes the message of Jesus. Here comes this, you have heard through Moses beforehand, the law came through Moses, but now through Jesus Christ, grace and truth. Here comes this message of a church, a body of Christ, a new entity that replaces Israel. Here comes this whole message that is from God about a, a, a difference that is changing in the program of the Lord, or advancing, I'd better say, Dispensationalists may say changing. I'll, I'll go progressive dispensationalist and say advancing um, in the program of God. And so now all of these guys, apostles, Jesus himself, perform signs in order to authenticate what it is that they are saying. Now, I imagine you guys would agree with everything, but you would just add something to it. Well, and, say and Jesus, saying, Jesus saying the reason that he performed miracles were not, was not for himself, but that people would believe he's the son of God. Yeah, the many things Christ did, if uh, they were written down, the whole world can contain them. But these have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So that's my, that's my spiel here. They are sign gifts. All of these gifts, healings, prophecy, miracles. Somebody prophesies and tells me about my heart, what's going on. Then I'll say, okay, now you can talk because I believe you. They were sign gifts to establish the message that is the gospel message, which was finally finished in the New Testament. And now that the New Testament is complete, there's no reason for them. Hence, we'll have to talk about this later, but hence, they die out. Okay. My initial response is, so what? So I, I, I have no uh, objection whatsoever to acknowledging that certain gifts and activities of the Spirit were designed to signify, authenticate, confirm, or attest to the reality of the message that was being proclaimed. I think all Christians acknowledge that. But why would that suggest, far less require, that these kinds of works of the Spirit would no longer be operative in our day? Where in the Bible does the Bible ever say, so much as hint, that it is given to us to supplant or replace the role of these gifts of the Spirit 
in, in bearing witness to the truth of the message. The Bible never claims that. Furthermore, even if, let's just say for the sake of argument, that um, I were to concede the, the point or the conclusion that you or others are drawing from the reality of sign gifts, that that function was somehow confined to the first century. That has relevance for our discussion only if you can demonstrate that that was the only function or the only purpose of these spiritual gifts. And yet, I'm reading, I'm just looking here at 1 Corinthians, and I'm reading again that Paul is saying that things like tongues, interpretation, prophecy, miracles, and faith are given for the common good, that is, for the benefit of the body of Christ. There's no sign function there. It's simply building up. Paul later says that uh, it is designed to enable you to care for one another. In chapter 14, he says it's so you can build up, encourage, and console one chapter another. Four, chapter 14, where? 14, verse 3. <clears throat> then again in 14, verse 5. Interpreted tongues and prophecy both do what? Build up the church. Uh, later on in, um, in verse 12, uh, Paul talks about tongues and interpretation to build up the church. Again, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 17, he's talking about building up or instructing in verse 19. In verse 26, he says when you come together, somebody has a revelation. I mean, there's a, there's a, a powerfully supernatural reality, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. And then he says, let all things be done for building up. So these gifts, very miraculous in nature, are designed to build up, edify, encourage, instruct, console the body of Christ. Again, he's talking about prophecy. All may learn from them. All be encouraged by them. But I, th- so, I think you can be a... But let me finish my point. My point simply is this. In order to make the reality of any or several gifts being sign gifts as an argument for their cessation, you're going to have to demonstrate that that was the only function that they exerted, which is clearly not the case. Even in the ministry of Jesus, although his miraculous works were designed to help awaken faith, uh, in the vast majority of instances, the motivation wasn't to attest to his messianic identity. It was as of out of compassion. It was yeah. out of love. It was to glorify the Father. It's because he saw the sheep had no shepherd. He saw they were hungry, and he, he felt sorry for them. So, again, if I were to concede, and I'm, I don't, but if I were to concede just for the sake of argument, that these particular gifts no longer retain their purpose as signs, they have multiple other purposes which the New Testament nowhere indicates the church has somehow outgrown. We still need to be encouraged, consoled, up, built up, edified, and instructed. Well, and I would agree with, I mean, I fully agree with what you're saying. I think a soft cessationist would, would just say, uh, so for instance, Jesus isn't, you know, when he heals some, when he heals, when he's weeping for Lazarus, uh, then heals him. Lazarus comes out, looks at him, and out of love, you know, I'm sure that there was a glance or a hug there of, you brought me back to life. 
he's not going to say, yeah, but I just did it for other people. You know, even don't really get too much out of this. It wasn't because I love you. I mean, of course he loves him. And so he's not merely doing it out of the motivation of, of uh, so other people would know. You know, it'd be like me saying, well, Patty, I really uh, love you just so I can be in ministry. Because being in ministry, I need to be a one-wife uh, husband or something. You know, I mean, we're not talking about that interpretation or anything. But if that was my idea, and so Patty would be like, well, I thought you just loved me for my for just the two of us. Um, so I would say you, we could say, yes, fully, these gifts are for the building up of the body. They're for the mutual edification, for the love of the bride of Christ. But can you say both? They're, they're potentially signs in the first century so that to, to give the, the body of Christ who are all coming out of... Uh, ideas that their mothers taught them about the Greek gods and things that are not true in order to, as they are being built up, as they are mutually encouraging each other, then uh, then those signs are what's doing it. So it would be, for instance, Jesus right now isn't performing miracles in the way he did in the first century because we can look back to those and say, okay, the reason that I don't need him today to come and to to heal me, uh, you know, him just look at me and touch me or, you know, do something with my eyes like he did in the first century is because he's already done that in the first century. If there's so an African bishop if there's an African bishop sitting in this room, he would leap out of his chair. But if you and don't say you don't need him to yeah. heal you of blindness, why why not? I think a blind person would say, Oh yes, I do need him to do that exactly. for me today. But not in the same way of him being here on earth. So he's he says it's better for me to go and to send the spirit. Right? We are the body of Christ. We are the exactly. presence of Jesus. We are His eyes, His hands, His heart to minister to people today. And I would simply and, and I believe and I, and I hold fully too that that we do expect Him to heal. You know, we're praying for Michael all the time about his back. Sure, we're fully expecting that the Spirit of God, with the power of the Spirit of God, will physically heal Michael. But there's a sense of of it's in a different way than when Jesus said, uh, you know, one of the reasons I'm standing here in the flesh doing the things I'm doing is so that it will be very clear I am who I say and I am. And why could not the healing of Michael's back do that today? Why would that not be a sign of the reality of who Christ claimed to be? Here is the Lord to whom we pray. Wow, he just healed Michael's back. I'm inclined to think he is who he claimed to be. That's a sign of his messianic identity. Oh, man, we're so out of time. Hey, guys. <laughs> guys, this has been great. Oh, I've been man, kicking back good. and listening. Um, Sam, one of the things that you brought forth on the 1 Corinthians 14.3. Are you trying to get in the last word? <laughs> <laughs> you, you said encouragement and comfort. Prophesy. The person who prophesies speaks to men for, in order to, for the purpose of strengthening encouragement and comfort. And I've gone through this word comfort as you guys have been talking and looking at the way it's used. And, you know, it is, it is very convincing in that sense that, uh, that uh, the, the, if you will go at it, and I don't say I did. I mean, a lot of the times I'm going to be, you know, kind of representing the other side, which I don't necessarily hold to completely so that you guys can kind of work through that. But it does seem that, that these passages do definitely say that they're for more than just the signs themselves. And so what you guys would say is this. Yes, they are signs. Yes, 
they do provide a testimony to the reality of the words that are spoken, but they're also the benevolent character of God coming through for his people. And so they're not just sign gifts, they're gifts of benevolence right. and, and care and concern. Of God. I would totally agree with that. And, but I would also say, because uh, I was only making this concession for the sake of argument, I, mm-hmm. I think these gifts can still function in their capacity as signs. So I, I don't see anything in Scripture that says they they no longer can serve that purpose as well. But I would agree with exactly what you just said. I know you have something real Just quick. one last very brief thought. It's interesting that we would take such great pains to make a division between kinds of gifts, and yet when you look at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul seems to be thoroughly unconcerned at doing that, and he shuffles them in hopelessly, healing, helping, administrating, tongues, and, and they all seem to be admixed in together in that list. And then I would leave people with this thought. If they're wanting to doubt their doubts, if they're in, in, a, in a cessationist position, look carefully at Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7, where he says, So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift, for what duration? As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul seems to very clearly say, what's, what's the season and the brackets for, for this being poured out on the church? The period from Pentecost to the expectation of his return. Mm-hmm. Um, folks, hopefully you are uh, getting some clarity on this. I think we've talked about how on one side there's the hard secessionist. Hard secessionist would usually say these were only for sign gifts. You got more of a soft continuationist, which would say, yeah, they're they're signs. Or soft they cessationist. Can, you said soft continuationist. Well, a soft continuationist would say that there are signs that you can still use these as long as they're out on tribes and you know, uh, uh, kind of the, God still utilizes all of them, but uh, to the unreached. And then there's the continuationist who believes that they are still active today and uh we're just trying to work through the differences here and hopefully you're you're gaining in your understanding of that i still fall on the side of um just a non-charismatic that's the only way i can put myself right now but uh it, it's very interesting for me to talk about this in such a way so i i appreciate you guys uh, yeah. being here and love you guys we'll sing kumbaya as soon as this is over yeah and i don't think we mocked you all that much did we well you mocked me less in this broadcast actually than oh. you do in the other one so I, that's I, I think i officially received the most mocking in this broadcast <laughs> we need to move the love around next time next week we'll uh, continue this discussion hopefully next week we'll start to zero in and talk about specific gifts What is the gift of prophecy? What is the gift of tongues? What is the gift of healing? And then after that, I think we need to get into some church history. See you guys. See you. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.